Welcome to the United Pubcast. It is your host, Larry Taylor. As always, I have my co-host, Tom Simpson, with me. Tom, how are you feeling after that excellent result? But might I add something significant about this result compared to the others? We are back where we belong. We are back in the UEFA Champions League. Well, it was only last year we were in the Champions League, but it does feel like four or five years since we've been there. So um, it's quite a weird feeling, but a feeling I'll definitely accept. Absolutely, and... The result that got us there was defeating Leicester. Uh, Manchester United, two against Leicester, nil at the King Power Stadium. But I tell you, it wasn't a game where we felt very confident going into it. Um, Tom, I mean, it was quite... There were pre-match nerves, no doubt about it. Um, is there a feeling that you can compare it to in the last few years where you can say, yeah, you know, it feels like a cup final or a comparable game where you said, yeah, I am really nervous about this one? Yeah, I think the obvious comparison, we've discussed it before, it was so similar to the Ajax match. A match where you probably go in favourites, I think we'll definite favourites over Ajax. While Leicester are quite close to us on the ladder, I think United v Leicester, United would definitely go in in favourites. And the Europa League final obviously was different as a trophy was up for grabs and the top four trophy you don't get a physical trophy for, but the ultimate prize was obviously Champions League qualification all pending on one game, albeit we do have the Europa League, or did have the Europa League as a backdoor route if need be, but it did very much have that Europa League feel against Ajax where it was, okay, it's great going in here, we're favourites, we're going to win, but then that hour before kickoff, when the team news comes through, the nerves really go, oh, <laughs> we actually have to win this game of football and that might not happen. So um, the nerves were definitely yeah, kicking in about midnight last night. Absolutely, and it wasn't one that I felt confident going into, but look, at the end of the day, it's the result, and that's all that matters. Let's look at the starting 11, Tom. Um, was there any surprises? I mean, it was almost the status quo of what we've come to expect from Oli over the last five, six games, isn't it? Well, you can't say that, yeah, definitely no surprises when he goes for his full strength 11, and we've definitely discussed on this podcast, and I've made the point where he should have been rotating and even made the case for one or two players to be dropped. No, not dropped, but maybe just give this give us that option off the bench in regards to if we did need to change things. So I wouldn't criticise him for going for his strongest eleven because at the end of the day he's won the game. And how can you criticise a manager for staying with his strongest eleven? It's almost a no brainer. But um, I sort of had to hold my hands up before the match. I was counting on. Oh, I was sort of alluding to the point that maybe we should have started a Gallo over Marcus Rashford. And we'll, we'll get into performances in a little bit. I don't think Marcus Rashford had a bad game. But um, and obviously the game turned out well. So fair play to Wally, fair play to Rashford. But um, yeah, can't criticise Ollie at all for picking the strongest eleven. I sort of agree with you. Obviously, we did speak on the last podcast at length about starting a Galo. Talking of uh, Rashford, um, Luke Shaw is out for the rest of the season, so will not participate in the Europa League. Um, Ollie has confirmed as much. Do you think that? And we've we've sort of discussed this previously. Shaw Shaw's I guess the way we look when he's not there, um, you can say he's been a loss and, in fact, has taken away from Rashford's game. Yeah, definitely. I, I think it's... And again, we're, I thought Brandon Williams had a very good game today or, or a positive influence on the game. But yeah, he just doesn't have that... I would say even link up just that natural chemistry with Marcus Rashford where... I, and I don't think Luke Shaw has a fantastic chemistry with Marcus Rashford, but I think it's definitely better than the one Williams does. And um, I think it's almost a case which we've discussed before where you don't realise how good Shaw is until he's not there. 
I mean, Brandon Williams did a fine job and has had a very good season at left back when he's come in. But you definitely do miss Luke Shaw when he's not playing, just in terms of the natural balance I think he gives on the left-hand side. And I think Marcus Rashford, without that balance on the left-hand side, can sometimes, I'd say, just find himself a little bit isolated and defenders can deal with Marcus Rashford quite easily if they get on top of him. Yeah, I have to agree with that. I think that's been the key here. Uh, People have said Rashford's form is... Well, the commentary has been that Rashford's form has dipped off the last few games. But I'd, I'd say that's actually because Shaw's come out. Um, he's just, In fact, you've seen Rashford almost go back to being an inverted winger, whereas when Shaw was there, he was hugging the sideline and Shaw was making the inverted runs. That seems to have gone since uh, he's, he's been uh, missing through injury. But anyway, we will carry on. Um, speaking of the starting eleven, uh, let's talk about the players who aren't playing. Uh, at this, for large parts of the season, we saw... Fred and McTominay be relied upon, um, Andreas Pereira as well. Those players have barely had a look in uh, since project since the football has resumed, um, as part of Project Restart. Is that Oli showing a lack of trust in the squad that he has, or is it purely he's gone with his best eleven? They've gotten him results over the last few weeks, and it's just too big a game to really play with that formula. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's a, a trust issue with the squad, but if you look at since Project Restart and the situation we found ourselves in, I'm sure maybe someone could correct me, but I'm sure we've been the sort of the leaders of the <coughs> sorry the leaders of the form table since Project Restart has resumed, and you can't fault Solskjaer for picking the strongest eleven because I I definitely sort of question the consistency of it and think maybe we could rotate here or there. But we've just, we just discussed Leicester almost being a cup final, a top four trophy cup final at the end of the season. However, the 10 games leading up to it have almost been cup finals as well. We're not in the position to need a draw against Leicester on the last day. If we're not winning, how many games did we win before that? Six or seven games before that? And you have to win those games, almost treating them like a cup final. And to do that, you have to go with your, start, your strongest 11. So there's, there's no doubt there's a drop-off in quality when you sort of go through 12, 13, 14 of players. But um, I wouldn't say so. I wouldn't use it as a criticism of Solskjaer or a criticism of the players saying he doesn't trust them. I just think the position we found ourselves in, Solskjaer almost had no no sort of choice but to pick his strongest eleven. I mean, look, like you said, it wasn't a cup final, obviously, but it was our most important game in terms of the Premier League, and you would go with your strongest lineup there. But obviously, we will preview the Europa League in the coming weeks or next week rather, and we can talk about maybe at length that which players that may be an opportunity for to say, you know, Ollie, take notice of me. But moving on, let's talk about the actual game. Um, the first half, gee, it was a bit of a bloodshot, wasn't it? Um, the nerves in the build-up to the game, we were talking about how we were feeling prior to kickoff. I think the players were almost just as nervous. What did you make of the first half? I think that's what it came down to. I think the players were just nervous. And I thank the Lord that... It was behind closed doors because I think if the, that was a packed King Power Stadium with players like Jamie Vardy and that, I think the Leicester crowd could have got on top and United players, which we've seen fold in the past, I think they might have struggled with it. So thankfully there was no no crowd in there to take advantage of it, but I think it did come down to simply nerves. We couldn't get on the ball. I think, well, when we did get on the ball, we'll force and Because I think it almost looked like we are playing for a draw and I saw on Twitter at halftime a lot of people saying... We're playing for a draw, and I don't think that was the case. I think it was. It looked maybe looked like that because we were defending so often, but we were defending so often because we had the ball so often and given it away in cheap areas. So it, it looked like we're on the back foot. 
but I don't think that was the case. I think it was just simply a case of... And you can... I don't want to criticise the players for being nervous because their season was on the line. Some of their United careers might have been on the line. So it's almost a natural... I fully understand why they would be nervous. But the nerves almost did cost us, I think. Something I will credit Oli with is he did say that these type of games is what this squad needs. Uh, and this is part of the growing process or part of the progression. Um, you know, Harry Maguire, perfect example. A seasoned professional, a good Premier League centre-back, no doubt the captain. But has he played in these big crunch games? I'd, I'd argue he hasn't. Um, obviously, he wasn't involved with Leicester when they, won the Prem- when they won the Premier League. So it's still a learning cue even for players like him to play in these pressure cooker games for Manchester United where you are expected to win. And I think these players will now be better suited for going into finals or big Premier League games. We just look at the, some of the results that we've achieved in the Premier League this season. City away, Tottenham away, both in the same week, uh, beating Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, the opening game of the season, etc. I think it puts us in good stead. But we well, carry well, on. Well, I think they're just on Harry Maguire, you pointed out. I think, look, he's coming for a lot of criticism, recently, but I think just in regards to players being nervous, I think he was top of the bill, and I can completely understand why. You look at, obviously, a very good friend of the podcast and your mate, Duncan Castles, has obviously had a lot to say about Harry Maguire in previous months, comparing him to the um, the Turkish defender from Leicester, who his name escapes me, but Sionchu? he was obviously Sionchu, he bet he was suspended for this match. Well, here's Harry Maguire, captain in United to an important victory. That Turkish defender wasn't on the field to lead his team to Champions League um, qualification. So I think Harry Maguire, you could could you imagine the nerves of him going in there, leaving Leicester for a for a world class, uh, world record transfer fee? To United, could you imagine him going back to Leicester on the final day of the season and United failing to qualify and Leicester take that spot? You can understand why he was so nervous on the ball in that opening half. Absolutely, and like like I said, I think it's just a part of that learning curve for not just Harry Maguire, but a lot of these players. But carrying on, the second half, um, I wouldn't say it was perfect football by any means, but United looked a lot more assured, didn't they? more confident on the ball, even when Leicester did get the ball in the final third, you never really felt that we were troubled too much. Then Bruno puts through a marvellous ball for Martial. He gets taken down by former Red Devil, Johnny Evans. Former and... Red Devil? I think he played almost as a current Red, Johnny, Johnny Evans did. Oh, mate, seriously, yeah. And those, from, the, from the penalty onwards, yeah, you could almost argue that he was doing his former club some favours. But nonetheless, uh, Martial gets the penalty after a brilliant one. Bruno... He, t- he that run up he does mate it is the thing that causes heart disease I'm telling you but nonetheless he, he shows his composure shows his cojones he puts it in the back of the net and it, we really were a lot more comfortable from there uh, what did you make of the what did you make of the penalty or the build up to the penalty I should say well before the penalty do you want to tell all the listeners at home what you were t- t- saying about Bruno about six seconds earlier yeah I was begging for him to come off for one matter <laughs> Look, he wasn't playing He wasn't playing brilliantly, was he? I mean, I don't think, and I still maintain, he should have come off. But nonetheless, he did show the composure to put the ball in the back of the net. And I won't take that away from him. But, you know, at the end of the day, he puts through the ball for Martial. And I guess for the, for the 90% of the passes he won't get, hmm. there is that 10% that he does pull out something like that, doesn't he? But when, when Bruno has a poor game and when he's playing bad and he's very frustrating to watch in terms of the way he gives the ball away... He's still contributing something. He's always adding to the team, whether that be through his leadership, whether it be through his work ethic. We've seen fantastic players in the past 
come here to United with world class ability. The comparison I always make is Di Maria. When Di Maria was having a bad game, he was having a bad game. He might as well have had the opposition shirt on. When Bruno's having a bad game, he's two seconds away from changing it like he did against Leicester. Or he's he's working hard, he's contributing in other ways. So, look, he has been quite poor by his standards in terms of the overall performance. But you can't argue his contribution to the team. And it's a simple fact that this is a clear yes or no and there's an obvious correct answer. Do we make the top four without Bruno coming in in January? And the answer is no. You, I think we could almost dedicate a podcast in future, in future weeks to how important Bruno has been and just what, in fact, he has done to make sure United have got top four. Because if he doesn't walk through the door, Solskjaer could potentially be out of a job and we're definitely not in the Champions League. And that, that that's not up for debate, I don't think. Tom, on Bruno, and look, I don't want to make this uh, bashing Harry Maguire, anything like that. I'm just looking purely at Bruno. Is there a case to say he should be our captain? Oh, you could definitely make the case. I, I think it's a weird one. When Harry Maguire's been given the captaincy straight away, well, not straight away, but so soon, the last thing you can do now for Team Harmony is strip him and give it to someone else, and especially someone who's been here even less time than um, Harry Maguire. But in terms of just the two people, the two individuals and their attributes, you could definitely make a case for it. I I probably would opt for Maguire if I was to choose between the two, just for the fact that Bruno, and I don't want to make the mistakes sound like the mistakes are a bad, well, obviously mistakes are a bad thing, but I don't want to criticise him making too many mistakes. But Bruno does lose the ball often, and I think a captain needs to lead by response, uh, sort of lead by example. And if your captain is losing the ball, losing the ball, losing the ball, I don't think that's the best example to be setting. Now, obviously, he's as I just mentioned before, he contributes in other ways, and he's obviously world-class ability. And Harry Maguire is definitely no stranger to mistakes, but I think Harry Maguire's, I wouldn't say composure, but his sort of steadiness, that you know what you're going to get, I think is probably more suitable to a captain, in my opinion, but it's all up for debate, I think. Yeah, I can take that point. I guess at centre-half, you're not under the microscope as much. If Bruno was making the errors he's making, it's almost magnified with the captain's armband, and that, that is a valid point. Uh, moving on, um, there was one other goal scorer in this match, and, mate, you want to say Johnny Evans decided to put on his... Uh, or show his allegiances. You could almost say the same for Kaspar Schmeichel. Um, the way he's given the ball away... Lingard's put the pressure on, but geez, it, it was a howler. And he's put it right in Lingard's path, who's managed to get his first Premier League goal, ruin a man's bet, uh, who, a season-long bet in the meantime. Um, what did you make of <laughs> Lingard's comical, if I can call it that, goal to finish the Premier League season? Yeah, look, I 100% a little bit comical, a bit. I think that almost, I wouldn't say sums up his time at United, but... The 98th minute, when we were probably in the stage of playing for a draw in that injury time period, Jesse Lingard is at the other end of the pitch, closing the goalkeeper down, trying to make something happen. And look, his future may very well be away from Old Trafford, and I would probably be the first to say, yes, he does need to leave United. But that was, that was the highlight of the game for me. I was so happy for him because he has received, received dogs abuse from the United fans, or I say fans, but so many online. And the disrespect he has been shown by United fans, I think... Look, the word disgusting gets thrown around Twitter and everything these days a little bit too often, but I sort of have been disgusted by it a little bit because he's given so much to this club. He's, well, I always go back to it. He scored an FA Cup final volley into the top corner in extra time to win it. Like He could do anything for to me. Like He's 
he goes down in club's history. So, like, he probably does need to leave United, and if it's his last touch in a United shirt, well, look, we've got the Europa League, which I'm sure he'll play a part in. But um, I was over the moon for him. I think it was, look, we could say well-deserved, as, as his performances deserved anything this season. Probably not. But um, I have to say it was nice to see. I'm with you. And if there's one thing I can say about Jesse Lingard, Manchester United fan, has come through the academy, has lived out the dream. As you've touched on, he scored an FA Cup. He scored in an FA Cup final to win his club, his boyhood club, the match. He's contributed immensely. He plays with his heart on his sleeve. You can say whatever you want about his form. You could say he hasn't performed since the World Cup, and you know what? I'm not going to argue with you. But for me, that is a player who loves the club, has given everything or his best, despite of what's been going on in his personal life. And as you've touched on, he goes down in Manchester United history just simply. I think I think if you look at a player like done. Jesse Lingard and you look at the ability or the performances he has, and you say, okay, that performance level, his future has to be away from United. And you say the exact same thing about someone like Alexis Sanchez. But Lingard will get our respect just for those, I wouldn't say little things, but the kind of little things in terms of being a fan, in terms of giving everything, in terms of the moments he's given us. Where Sanchez, who probably has more ability, he won't go down in United's history for a multitude of reasons. Well, he will, simply for <laughs> uh, stealing money off the Glazers, which I'm sure they're filthy about. But anyway, we move on. Tom. Let's talk about the three two ones, the last set of three two ones for the Premier League season at least. Um, who was your man of the match? Probably someone we haven't discussed before or discussed in this podcast, but um, I think he got a couple of points last week or the week before, but Victor Lindelof, I thought, and again, nothing against Harry Maguire, I don't want to compare the two, but it's almost it's part of the debate when you're talking about centre-backs. But I think Lindelof has been performing very well and I thought dealt with Jamie Vardy, who is obviously the Golden Boot winner. I thought he dealt with Vardy pretty comfortably and um, one of his better games, I thought, uh, Victor Lindelof. Lindelof likes these sort of strikers, doesn't he? When he plays against Aguero, when he plays against, dare I say it, Cristiano Ronaldo and Juventus, these are the games where he actually thrives because he can defend in the channels. He reads the game well. It's the more physical strikers that he comes up against and unfortunately in the Premier League, that's where it exposes some of his weaknesses. But I'm with you, I think he was fantastic today. Lindelof and definitely deserves man of the match, so we'll give him the three points. Imagine that, me giving Lindelof credit. Un- unreal. Um, who was the who gets the two points on, on this one? I think it's an easy one. We've already mentioned him on this podcast. It has to be Bruno, doesn't it? Simply for the contribution. Well, the contribution, yes, but with the performance, would you... And I'm not going to argue because the contribution was... You could almost say season-defining when you look back at it. If that penalty doesn't go in, and when the penalty was awarded, I was thinking, oh, God, the way this season's gone, this written in the stars, he's going to do his skip and he's going to miss it. But um, to show have the mental strength to bury it, yeah, okay, his performance was probably poor throughout the 90 minutes, but he stepped up and made it count. So who am I to argue? His performance was poor, but you know what he showed, Tom? He's got two big sets of balls. And because of those two balls, he gets the two points. Simply because he has not missed a penalty. And he's yet to lose a Premier League game. Let's not forget that either about the Portuguese. So Bruno for the two points. And then we've got the one-pointer. Um, I'll give you the honours. Yeah, tricky game because I think there we just mentioned in terms of overall performances or individual moments, which proved to find. And I think for me, I don't, it didn't, definitely didn't have any individual moments that stood out. But I thought, especially in the first half, I don't know if anyone would disagree with me, 
I'm not saying he was man of the match or anything, but I thought Brandon Williams did very well because I thought it was, I wouldn't say flat in terms of the players were sort of leggy or tired or didn't want to be out there, but I thought the nerves sort of sort of limited United a little bit in that first half. And I thought uh, Brandon Williams was the one player. I include Bruno in this, I include Pogba, I include Rashford, Martial. Brandon Williams was almost the one player who did show that intensity and, I dare say, leadership in terms of, just in terms of his intensity running around and almost telling the other players, saying, hey, this is the cup final, we need to win this game, Everyone, could everyone please pick it up? And I thought other players weren't quite doing that. And I don't want to say weren't quite doing that in a bad way, but I thought Brandon Williams really showed sort of what it meant to him in this game and looked definite limitations to his game and definite limitations to his performance. But I thought, especially given that first half, a clean sheet against Leicester City away at Leicester City, I think he probably does, deserves a little bit of credit for his performance. Yeah, I'm with you. I could make a case for Martial, from being honest. I thought in the small glimpses when he did have the ball did look sharp, but, you know, we've come to expect that from him now. Um, but, look, I'm happy to give it to Williams. I thought, you know, there were times in that second half he looked a little shaky, but overall a solid performance. And like you said, he's just full of energy, and that's what you wanted in this sort of game, given the magnitude. So... The one point goes to the young English lad, Brendan Williams. Um, let's give a score to one more important man, Tom, who's, yeah, you could say he's had something to do with this season. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer. Um, if we were going to give him a score out of 10 purely on the Premier League season, what would you score? I mean, let, let's, before I ask, take it to that, actually, let's rip through a few things. In January, we were 14 points off Leicester, um, who were fourth at that point. We've lost to West Ham. We've lost to Newcastle when the famous budget Longstaff scored. Um, where, in fact, you were happy to write off Fred. Um, but we've also seen a season where we've dominated against the top sides. We beat Tottenham and Manchester City in the same week. We've done the double against Manchester City and Chelsea. Where, did you, where do you rank Oli in terms of the Premier League season if you're scoring him out of 10? Out of ten, I think. Look in terms of the Premier League, and if you go, if you the Glazers and Ed Woodward, and you said Solskjaer, what is? Oh, you've given Solskjaer a job for this Premier League season. It's simple. It's to qualify for the top four. So Solskjaer did his job. So in terms of on paper, he gets a ten out of ten. Now, obviously, that he had there's been huge um, negatives in regards to the the campaign as a whole, which you can't hide from, and Solskjaer does need to improve. But in terms of, you could almost give that scorecard of a Premier League scorecard, but I think his job description has been so much more. What we look at the sort of the turn in the 14 point gap around. Well, unfortunately, Solskjaer got into position where we're 14 points behind Leicester. But you have to look at where we came from, and where we came from is that Anfield um, defeat under Jose Mourinho, where Jose Mourinho was fighting with all our top players. The players weren't. And I, I don't say this lightly, but the players weren't trying. We were very critical of players for lacking of effort. And I don't think this season, once after any defeat, we've really questioned the players' effort and desire. So that comes down to Solskjaer and the culture change that he's um, instilled in the players. So, look, I'm not going to go over the top and say Solskjaer has had a 10 out of 10 across the board because there's, there's obviously limitations to his um, time at United. And there's definitely stuff he needs to improve upon. So I don't want to go over the top at 10 out of 10, but I think all things considered, okay, Premier League job description, he's got 10 out of 10, he's achieved his objective. But I think overall, I'm looking at very solid eight, seven and a half, eight out of 10, I think. Yeah, I'm with you. The only thing you can criticise is some squad selections have been questionable. 
Uh, some tactics have been questionable as well, which have, you know, naturally led to not a desired result. Mm. But ultimately, like you said, we've achieved the ultimate objective. You finished third, in fact. Um, and there was a case where it would have been unlikely. Um, should have we finished fourth and should have Chelsea beaten Bayern Munich and Wolves won the Europa League, United spot would be in jeopardy. So he secured third and takes it out of their hands. So all in all... You have to say, an 8 out of 10 for me. He's been fantastic. But some of the clubs you mentioned there, and Solskjaer has deserved criticism. We've criticised him here on this podcast. Obviously, we're both huge fans of him and definitely in the Oli in camp. But the criticism Oli Gunnar Solskjaer has got this season, at the end of the day, in our so-called poor season, and I don't know if it ranks in terms of the, the points total David Moyes got. I'm sure someone will know that or not. But the criticism he's got, has Frank Lampard ever been criticised this season by the press in England? Oh, Frank Lampard's a saint, mate. He's Jesus' child, if you believe the English media. No, I'm not going to take any... Frank Lampard has had a difficult job. He obviously didn't have a transfer window. He obviously lost Ed and Hazard. So Frank Lampard's done a very good job to get fourth. But if he's done a very good job to get fourth, I think Solskjaer's worked an absolute miracle to get third. And if we're talking about points in terms of David Moyes, we actually did better at uh, this season. Uh, we got 64 points in Moyes' season. We got 66 in this one. How's yeah, that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so he did well to get the win there. Um, he's pipped David Moyes right at the death. So good for Ali. Tom, I'll give it to you just to go through our loyal listeners' comments. Yeah, pl- plenty of comments on Facebook this week, which was good. Always good to wake up and see plenty of comments after an important win. Now, there was obviously a heap today, so I'm not going to read out every paragraph. Maybe just read a comment or two from each person. So Emma, who obviously is the, the secretary of the official supporters club here in Sydney said, I think Brandon Williams had one of his better games this morning as well. And we just mentioned there before in terms of Brandon Williams. And it just popped up in my memory in terms of you look at contributions over the season and pivotal moments. And we've obviously made the top four by one game. And so it goes, comes down to every point has been a pivotal point throughout the season. And it feels like a game where we lost because we lost, we drew it in the last minute. But I look back, and obviously his performances have been very good throughout the season, but in terms of direct impacts, you look at that goal he got away at Sheffield United, fantastic goal to bring us back into the game. I think, again, you do need to sort of put a little bit of respect on what Brandon Williams has done this season in terms of he's come in, he's played a big chunk of games. He hasn't just filled in sort of here and there. There's been times where Shaw has been injured and he's almost been... There was a time where Brandon Williams was starting ahead of Luke Shaw, and deservedly so, when both were fit. So I think Brandon Williams deserves a lot of credit um, this season. Yeah, 100%. Um, people forget he's 19, and that's that's the issue with Twitter. Like, you're, As long as you've been playing, once you've played two or three games, that's it. It's just what what's expected. It's the status quo, right? You're just expected to perform. He's a 19-year-old who's come through the academy, and I think he's done a fantastic job. Has he been perfect every single game? Absolutely not. Does he have limitations to his game? Absolutely he does. But what he does do is go out there with 100%, and he hasn't made any howlers. I can absolutely name a lot of players who have would have definitely, you know, not taken their opportunity, and I think he has. So definitely, Brendan Williams deserves all the praise, and yeah, I could see him playing a right-back a fair bit um, in the future as well. I don't think he'll actually be a left-back, and um, but I'm telling you, mate, one to watch out for. I've said it before, Ethan Laird, and... I think the future of United's fullbacks are, are in good hands. If, if Ethan Laird and Brendan Williams are the backups, I think United will be just fine. Well, I think the fullback situation is interesting in terms of, I'm sure we'll have it next week, a sort of a Europa League preview 
podcast. I think fullback is somewhere where you can sort of bloody youngster here or there. So um, I'm sure Brandon Williams' name will come up in that discussion discussion in terms of the right back position. But Josh on Facebook has also said, can we take a second to talk about Lingard and the poor guy's bet getting torn up in the 98th minute? Which you, you mentioned there in terms of that bet previously when Lingard scored. I can't get over it in terms of... It was only a very small bet. You know, obviously very long odds, but he didn't put like hundreds of pounds on or anything, so he didn't lose any real money. But could you imagine just the thought of that bet in terms of he has gone 37 games without assisting a goal or scoring a goal? Not just scored, you, you mentioned before, that it was the last goal of the campaign in, across the whole league. But not only that, the 98th minute of the last game of the season to score his first goal, the last touch of the season, Jesse Lingard gets his first goal. Could you imagine what you'd be feeling if you had money on that bet? Oh, mate, well, I tell you, I wouldn't be placing that bet because I don't have the patience. So, but I'm telling you, if that man is single, he should have his choice of whatever woman he wants because to place a bet at the start of the season, so we're talking August, he's had to deal through a pandemic and a pause <laughs> in, in the middle of that. So he's one patient man to write out that bet. So I hope he finds a nice woman at least out of that. Who knows, maybe Jesse Lingard can send in the £5 that he put on the bet. Um, yeah. I'm sure. uh, Lingard, he may be the type of guy to do that. He's a good guy. I think But so. also, Simon Thompson on Facebook said, Ollie has done a great job to get us third from where we were, but even if we hadn't won today, I'd be relatively happy because it is so clear to see how he is turn us in, turning us into a team once again. Slowly, the players are starting to show more and more confidence on the pitch, which I completely agree with. George on Facebook's given his three two ones, three for Lindelof, which we both agreed with, two for Bruno and one for Anthony Martial. Robert on Facebook said, hats off to Ollie for getting the job done. Bruno was our saviour. Now it's up to the board to deliver for once. But knowing Edward Wood, he'll wait to deadline day and pay a fortune, which I'm sure in the coming weeks we'll definitely have a lot of transfer podcasts and Edward Wood will be dominating the headlines. But just his first point on Bruno being the saviour, this is an opinion that it is not up for debate this is fact we do not make top four if Bruno doesn't come in in January and it's clear nothing to do with Solskjaer nothing to do with Pogba Martial's form De Gea's bad form whatever Bruno Fernandes is look I don't want to say the sole reason but we simply don't qualify for the Champions League without Bruno Fernandes and that's not up for debate yeah we've covered that um, and I agree with that you, you can't drill at home hard enough um Bruno's but, made but, a huge but difference. But what do you think it is? Like, do you think it just gave the squad a boost? Do you think it's his attitude? Do you think it's his ability? Like, it's well, all something the above. Just, it's something all the just above. changed. Something changed the... when he walked through the door. He's a serial winner, and you can see that. And that's why you know, I asked the question, perhaps it's not the right call to make him captain, but you can see he holds players to a standard. I remember his first game. It was against Wolves, uh, where we had the draw. And... I remember him pointing, I think it was at Pereira at the time, telling him where to be in possession. And when I saw that sort of leadership, the fact that it was his first game and he had the confidence to be telling players where to be, I said, I said no, this guy's a player. Uh, very confident, short on the ball. And he, he, he does what Andreas does with, uh, well, what Andreas is meant to do or was meant to be doing, but he pulls it off. And once we saw the glimpses of his ability, it just he filled the squad with confidence. And like we've said, Tommy, he hasn't experienced a loss in the Premier League yet. He only experienced his first loss against Chelsea. So he's definitely a winner. He holds the team to a high accountability. And he's a wonderful player. You can, and, and no doubt about it, he's a senior member of this squad already. So I'm, I'm excited to see the prospect of Bruno with an off-season with these players and hopefully some better players around him. 
I think well, there's more there's more to see from from the Portuguese. I have no doubt about it. Um, so you're probably wondering what is next for the United Pubcast. Um, the Premier League's wrapping up. The Europa League's still just under two weeks away. So does that mean we're going to be taking a break? There is not a chance that will be happening. So what do we have planned? I'm going to share some news with you. On Thursday, we've been bringing a podcast to you twice a week. We will continue to do that. On Thursday, me and Tom will go through basically how we started this podcast. We'll go through every player of the squad. We'll debate their position and whether they should stay or go in the upcoming season. Do we think they'll stay or go? That will come into account. So it'll be a good debate. Stay tuned for that one. And then on Monday, we will preview the Europa League. And fingers crossed, we will have a special guest, someone who has been on this podcast before, someone who you're all familiar with, and we will see if we can get him on. Tom, anything to add before we wrap up the podcast? No, just um, hopefully everyone is enjoying the Champions League anthem, which I've been playing on repeat all morning. Oh, absolutely. Um, I sent you a delighted uh, video. I hope you've enjoyed that one with the Champions League music in the background. And I think that is a good place to put the drinks down and leave the pub for today. Thank you for tuning in. Don't forget to give us a five-star review if you're using your iTunes um, or whatever program you're using. Give us a like, turn your notifications on and stay tuned to the pubcast because we are the best Australian Manchester United content out there. And heck, why not? For the sake of it, let's just say the world. Tom, it's been a pleasure, mate. I'll chat to you on Thursday. Cheers. Cheers.